WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. You are listening to all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. Happy Christmas Eve. On today's show, we're celebrating some of the best books of the year by revisiting my conversations with the authors who wrote them. This hour, we're focusing on books set in our great city. And what better way to kick things off than with a novel titled Harlem Shuffle, written, of course, by two-time Pulitzer Prize winner and New Yorker Colson Whitehead. Whitehead's past two novels, The Underground Railroad and The Nickel Boys, were intense portrayals of racism through American history. And after writing those books, Whitehead needed a break from heavy topics. So for Harlem Shuffle, Whitehead turned his considerable talents to more lighthearted fare, heists and crime syndicates and family drama. The story is set uptown in the 1960s, and our protagonist is Ray Carney. Carney is the owner of a respectable-ish furniture store on 125th Street. Occasionally, he sells something that is falling off the truck, as they say. He's not a real crook. All he wants to do is move his wife, daughter, and baby on the way into a nicer place. He has one scoped out on Riverside Drive, proving to his wealthy in-laws that he can provide for their beloved daughter. But that all changes when Carney's cousin, Freddie, ensnares him in a major criminal scheme, a heist to rob the once glamorous Hotel Teresa, Suddenly, Carney finds himself as a fence, fending off mobsters, cops, and other Harlem criminals. And he may be in over his head. Harlem Shuffle was a finalist for the Kirkus Prize and a New York Times Notable Book of the Year. Colson Whitehead joined us back in September, and I began our conversation by asking him how his approach to a very serious novel, like Underground Railroad, is different from his approach to a more humorous novel, like Harlem Shuffle. Well, you know, when I'm working on something that has room for jokes... The day-to-day -day work is actually more more enjoyable, mm -hmm. uh, but you know when I tackle a new genre, I'm trying to figure out what I like from the tradition, what I don't like, you know, what interests me, and um, and and try to you know tr try to figure out how to make this specific thing work. And so both the Nickel Boys and Underground were historical novels, but one has a fantastic structure, um, mm -hmm. a literal Underground Railroad, and the other one is, is very real realistic. So. Um, whether it's a, a zombie novel and I'm trying to figure out fast or slow or a realistic novel and I'm trying to figure out um, the exact way to do it, I'm always planning before and, and, and trying to figure out the genre. Are you a different person to be around when you write one versus the other? No, I'm pretty much the same except you know, towards the end of the, uh, end of the Nickel Boys after writing two books uh, that were you know, tragedies in, in different ways, um, I was very depleted. So 
I finished the Nickel Boys, took a few weeks off, and then went right back to uh, Harlem Shuffle, which I've been taking notes on. And it was a, a real relief to have a character who, who wins, you know, mm-hmm. Cora in Underground, and the kids in Nickel Boys are really constrained by their circumstances. And Carney is a schemer, he's active, and, um, and he gets to win. When we first meet him, his main concern seems to be providing for his family, getting his wife Elizabeth and daughter May. They have a baby on the way, too. He, like, really, really wants to get them to Riverside Drive. And he's trying to do that in part by, you know, dealing with some property that someone else might have owned before. And he just kind of considers himself a middleman at first. How does he justify what he does? Uh, well, he, you know, he grew up with a, a criminal for a father, uh, mm-hmm. but has turned his back on that, and he's wanted to enter the middle class and have a stable family like you, you've described. But there is that call of the streets in his blood and, and his nature. And part of the novel is, you know, is, is dramatizing uh, that, that struggle. So um, he can't admit exactly what he's doing. And so when his mm-hmm. cousin Freddie says, uh, you know, I want you in on this heist, and he's like, I'm not a fence. And he's like, I just used, uh, gently used, formerly owned uh, merchandise. Uh, he's deeply, in, he's deeply in denial, and 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 and, and, and tracing that uh, denial, and then acceptance, and then revulsion at himself is uh, was great fun. My guest is Colson Whitehead. We're talking about his new book, Harlem Shuffle. So the target of the initial heist is at the Hotel Teresa, a very famous hotel in Harlem. Uh, what excited you about writing there? About about writing about it and setting the heist there? Yeah, I mean, I. Wanted to do a heist, you know, a heist novel because I was, you know, thinking about what to rent that night for a movie. And I was thinking, I love heist movies. Can I do a heist novel? So that meant finding a, a, a place and time. And New York uh, seemed obvious because I was writing about the South a lot. And then I wanted the crooks to take advantage of a, a New York City calamity. So 1977 blackout. You know, it's kind of obvious. Uh, the 43 race riot. Uh, Ralph Ellison owned that because of Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I decided that they would use six, the 64 riot as cover. And then when I actually wrote it, I decided to place it in the week afterwards because uh, I didn't want to exploit the tragedy. Um, but that meant recreating Harlem at that time. And I know any, didn't know anything about the Hotel Teresa. Um, but in my research, it was a real, um, real hopping joint in the 50s. If you were mm-hmm. a, a black celebrity coming to town, you'd stay there and be seen, be seen at the cocktail lounge. And it seemed uh, that uh, it was a perfect place for a heist if you wanted to sort of poke your, poke your finger in the eye of, of Harlem society. So in terms of things that you know about New York, you're a native New Yorker. I believe your parents lived in Harlem for a while. What's a story or detail that you learned from them or you recalled from your own time living in New York City that you wanted to make sure made it into the book? Well, I mean, I, you know, we talked about research, and I should have just been asking my mother when I, when I started, but it didn't occur to me. So, you know, she and my dad were um, a young couple in Harlem at, the, at, at that time, a little younger than Carney and his wife, but um, in the early 60s Harlem. And I told her I was writing about the Hotel Teresa and the chock full of nuts on the first floor, and she was like, oh, yeah, I used to go there all the time. I worked around the corner. <laughs> um, uh, there's a famous department store called Blumstein's, and I mentioned that to her a few months later. And she's like, oh, yeah, your dad worked there. And I'd already made Carney like a stock boy there. So it was just sort of weird to, um, you know, I didn't know how much I was tracing my, my, my parents' life uh, in, in the 60s. And then there was stuff that they didn't tell me that had to go in, like 
Marcus Garvey Park, what used to be Mount Morris Park, mm-hmm. and I was reading the, the memoir of Bumpy Johnson's wife. He was a famous mobster. And she describes how, you know, if you just maimed somebody and wanted them to live, you'd drop them off at Harlem Hospital. But if you killed them, you would drop them off at Mount Morris Park. And she keeps referring to this body dumping. It seemed like there was like a line every Saturday to dump <laughs> the folks you killed. So, you know, that, that had to go in, too. My guest is Colson Whitehead. We're talking about his book, Harlem Shuffle. So one of the really fun chapters in the book is you have a blow-by-blow description of how the heist at the hotel goes down. What did you learn about heists that you didn't know before? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's stuff that you learn from, from heist movies, you know, planning the job. That's always like, a, you know, a 30-minute uh, segment of, of any good heist movie, mm-hmm. how they're going to pull it off. And you don't, you don't necessarily know how the pieces fit, like why they're buying... 50 foot of copper tubing and then you know when you execute it comes together um but when you're writing it you know it has to work because people are going to punch holes in, in in the scheme and i remember um uh the new yorker ran an, an excerpt uh in, in the summer uh for, of the heist scene and um the fact checker was like if they're wearing howdy duty masks how do they mouth hello to the hostages? And I was like, no, you got me. <laughs> um, yes, they're wearing a mask and you can't see their mouths. And that was really stupid. So hopefully there aren't too many holes, but you got to plan, 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 and, and hope it comes together. All right. I've been just going back and forth about what the title means. So I'm just going to ask you. I know it is Journalism 101. It's a boring question. You're going to have to answer it about 1,500 times between now and the end of the year. But where is the title from? Okay, there's a, a song called Harlem Shuffle from 1963, Bob yes. and Earl, and yeah. it's that. So I was, uh, I'd started writing but didn't have a title, and uh, my friend came over and, and played it, and I was like, that's it. Um, so it's, uh, the lyrics are very light. They're like, you move to the left, you move to the right, but the, the horns and the rhythm section are very menacing. And mm-hmm. so that's sort of like the character of the book. It's, um, there are plenty of colorful characters who are doing occasionally funny things, but it's deadly business, and, and bodies are also piling up. And, and I think that's there in this song. It's this very improbable concoction. Well, let's listen to a little bit of Harlem Shuffle. You know you scratch just like a monkey. Yeah, you do. Real, yeah. You slide into the limo. Yeah, how low can you go? horns differently now that you've described how they inspired you well i think even the backup singer is going yeah 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 they're like they're taunting someone mm-hmm. on <laughs> they're not really happy backup singers when they say yeah so and if you all google this don't listen to the stones version just say yes please don't please do not. don't do that my guest is colson whitehead the name of the book is harlem shuffle so carney doesn't come from means, but his wife, Elizabeth, does. She grew up on Strivers Row, which is, you know, still quite beautiful uh, to look at. Um, how is Elizabeth Harlem different than Carney's? Uh, he, uh, you can't even call him working class. What do you call it when your dad's a, a crook? So, you know, so, uh, <laughs> but she is uh, uh, part of that upper, upper middle class black elite, you know, doctors, mm-hmm. lawyers, 
uh, accountants living on Strivers Row, this uh, very lovely row of townhouses uptown. And, um, you know, I start the book with a street-level view of Harlem, then pull back and get into the more of the social structures and power structures. And so in the second section, we look at uh, um, the disdain of lighter-skinned blacks mm-hmm. upon Carney, uh, who wants to enter this men's club, but um, mm-hmm. uh, he, he is, uh, he's too dark. He comes from the wrong side of the street. And so we get into the cla- you know, class conflict and, and uh, how it bumps up against Carney's aspirations. Elizabeth is, is very happy with, with him. Uh, her parents you know, call him the rug peddler and, um, and are not too happy that, uh, in, in her daughter's choice of, of partner. Yeah, the one day they come to see him in the store, these rugs arrive. And in the book, you talk about like they're in plenty of, of the white establishment stores. But for some reason, when they see these rugs coming off, off the truck and into the store, it really offends them somehow. It's not what they wanted for their, their, their baby girl. And so, um, you know, part of the nice thing about this three-part structure is that I can keep pulling out uh, for wider angles on, on, the, uh, on, on the power struggles in the city. And in the end, you know, we've, we have a very wide-angle view of, of Manhattan mm. and uh, its power centers. The, it has a, a cast of characters, especially when you get into the underbelly world with great names like Miami Joe and, and Pepper. What's your process for naming characters? Um, you know, I was trying to get, you know, some good crime names. And mm-hmm. then, uh, uh, you, you, you know, my, 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 my stuff can never really compete with the real thing. So if you read, you know, the crime blotter, uh, the nicknames of, of, of low-level hoods are always more colorful mm-hmm. than anything I could come up with. So um, do my best, steal from the crime blotters, and, um, and uh, you know, try to add that, uh, those little dabs of color to the, to the portrait. The rumor is that you're working actually on a sequel to this set in the 70s? Is that true? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I've never had that compulsion to continue with a character or a world after I was done with the book. Um, usually I you know, research for, for a couple of months and then write the book uh, a year, 14 months, and then it's on to the next thing. But halfway through, I realized that I wanted to continue Carney's story. Um, at first, the heist story became three capers in the late 50s, early 60s, and then I kept coming up with more shenanigans. And so the 70s made sense, and you know, I'm a good ways into the, the second volume of Carney's Adventures. And New York in the 70s is a very different beast than New York in the 60s. Mm. Um, if you remember the headline of, of the Daily News, you know, Ford to City, Drop Dead. Drop dead. <laughs> the city's bankrupt. The city's bankrupt. Um, crime's at an all-time high. And there's more of the city for, for Carney to roam around in. So I just kept going. What do you like about Carney so much that you're willing to spend a whole other book with him? Um, I think he, he has access to these really different parts of, of the city. Um, the criminal part, the, the straight part, upstanding part. Um, and all those places provide uh, new stories. And as mm-hmm. he... His kids get old. His kids get older. Um, his wife's business, you know, transforms. His store uh, expands. He adds more staff, and so tracing him in these, you know, these different years, I get to make a portrait of the city, and also this, you know, complicated figure who, um, 
he's really just trying to trying to get along, uh, but keeps having his voice in the back of his head saying, hmm, wouldn't it be interesting if... That was my conversation with two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning author Colson Whitehead about his latest novel, Harlem Shuffle. It was a finalist for the Kirkus Prize and named a New York Times Notable Book of the Year. Up next, Tori Peters is the author of another celebrated novel of the year set in New York. It's called Detransition Baby. She joins us to discuss the book, which covers the sensitive topic of detransitioning. That's up next. 